Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. The New Testament book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter number 4. We're in our series, our last two messages on the book of Hebrews. And we will be in the book of Hebrews in just a moment. But we need to take a pit stop as we try to examine uh, the book of Hebrews in just a bit. The verse that we're going to examine. And we want to see as God builds upon the thought that will be... Um, discussing today. We got one more message in the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning and then after that on Wednesday we'll be starting our series of the millennial or um, not the millennial kingdom dealing with the idea of um, the minor prophets that they be minor in size but major in message and we'll give an introductory message to the minor prophets next Wednesday night. But now we're finishing up this book of Hebrews and it's been a fun journey to walk through here into this deep book to be able to learn some more things and to study more about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4, I want you to start with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8, the word of God says this, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 4? The book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Notice as we see this, it says, he gave gifts unto men. And then if you don't mind, I'd like to point out one specific gift he gave to men. So in verse 8, he gave gifts unto men. And verse number 12, he gave the, um, verse number 11, he gave the gift of a pastor. And with this, we'd like to explain from here and the book of Ephesians, pastors, the gift of God. Pastors, the gift of God. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we're thankful that we can trust you. I'm thankful that we could depend upon you for people in our life. We're thankful that we could depend upon you for the circumstances in our life. And that we could depend upon you for the word in our life. We're thankful that you provide good gifts unto us for the perfecting of the saints. So that way we could do and become what you desire us to be. Help us to understand more about what your plan is. Especially as we highlight the specific office of the pastor. 
Thank you again. I need your help. I want people to see you through this whole thing and not me. So the best I know how I surrender myself now. And ask that you fill me with your spirit. And that you get your own work accomplished. And we love you in Jesus name. Amen. In the book of Ephesians, the theme of the book of Ephesians is unity. And we know how we get unity is by looking unto Jesus. That if everyone is looking unto Jesus, going the same direction with the same goal, there's going to be unity. And so is it speaking about unity, even in verse number 13, till we all come into the unity of faith, this is the purpose. God is trying to provide unity. He's trying to provide in that local body of assembled believers to have unity, and he's provided a gift to do that. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, if you would notice in verse 9 through 10, you would notice that at the beginning of verse 9, at the end of verse number 10, is a part of grammar, part of speech, we would call a parenthesis. And a parenthesis inside of English grammar has the idea that it is a break of thought within a thought. So it's a thought within a thought. And so in order to get the direct thought across, we would set aside the parenthetical phrase. And that way verse 8 will flow naturally into verse number 10. Now we're not doing a disservice. Verse number 9 and 10, by the way, is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ ascended and then he first descended to earth. Speaking about when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he went down... Uh, to the holding chamber where the other Old Testament saints were, and then bless God on the third day when he rose again, he broke it free and everyone came with him. And it's speaking about that. But again, the person that it's speaking about is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's the Lord Jesus Christ here when it refers to the he that he gave good gifts to the children. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't mind, let's see And read this without the parenthetical thought, without the break within the thought. Read with me uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. And we're going to go straight into verse number 11. It says, wherefore he saith, we saw that's Jesus Christ, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So when he ascended up on high, he also, as he's ascend- leading all those P- Old Testament saints to heaven, he also gave good gifts unto men. What were these gifts? Verse number 11. And he gave, Jesus gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So if you don't mind, as we examine this in the book of Ephesians here, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is the pastor's job. The pastor's job. You know, sometimes people have a misunderstanding of what a pastor's role is. To be honest, there is many, many people who think the only thing that a pastor does is stand up behind a pulpit three times a week and give a nice uh, religious sermon. And some people think that's all that a pastor does. And so, (laughs) because they have that in the mindset, they're missing out on the gifts that God has. Why is it that God thought it necessary to give a gift of the pastor to a local church? Well, let's see again in verse number 11, he starts listing these gifts. And he, Jesus, gave some apostles. Now, apostle, according to definition, is someone who... Um, we see this definition in the book of Acts chapter number 2. Someone who saw or followed after John the Baptist during the ministry of John the Baptist. It was someone who had followed the teachings of Jesus and had saw the resurrected Lord. Now is that an office that we have today? 
No, because as old as some of you may feel, none of you were old enough during the time of John the Baptist. All right. And so that was an office that was regulated for a certain point of time that God gave to help put the local church. Remember, this is for the purpose of the local church, of it putting together the church. And the apostles were trained by Jesus for the purpose of helping uh, this fledgling church to move forward. And we could see that all throughout the book of Acts. Notice as it goes on, not only did he give apostles, he gave some prophets. In this case here, the prophets carry the idea of Bible writers. And we know that during the time of the first century church, that God had used different people to pen the word of God. And that is necessary in order for us to operate as a New Testament church is to have the word of God, to be able to read the things in first Peter, to read through the things in James or the read the things through the book of first John, second John, third John. These are necessary in order for our church to operate. And these were gifts that God gave for the purpose of the church. He gave some apostles. Then he gave some prophets. Now because the Bible is a complete revelation, it has been finished, this office is no longer in operation. All right, that is past, that is gone, that's something that doesn't affect us today. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. Now today we have a different definition of evangelist of the Bible times. Today we have an evangelist. We would probably do better to call them a revivalist. Meaning they come in for the purpose of promoting revival into a local church. That's fine. But this is not what the word evangelist here is speaking about. An evangelist in the Bible is speaking about a New Testament church planter. We would call them missionaries. And so they would go into an area, they would win people to the Lord, they would disciple them, they would confirm that they've been walking with the saints, they would ordain elders, commend them to the Lord, and go do it again. So we understand with the idea of missionaries or church planters, that's necessary for churches in order to move forward, because you have to have churches, and you have to have people who are being used of God to bring around churches. And so that is an office that is still going up. We, that's why we support missionaries in order to get new, new, lo, new local New Testament churches all over the world moving forward. Then we come to the last office here. Notice, if you don't mind, we notice the language. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. Notice he uses that word some. So he gave to some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What's meant to be here when it says some pastors and teachers is the pastor teacher is the same office. It's speaking about the same thing that a pastor is to pastor the flock and to teach the flock. This is put together as one thing. And this is the the office that we're speaking about today. We could spend time on those other ones, but for the message here, especially as we go back to the book of Hebrews, we're the put thing, the office that we're putting a highlight on is the office of a pastor. So we're talking about now the pastor's job. What is the pastor's job? Why did God give the gift of a pastor? And some people say, I don't think you're much of a gift. Well, we're just seeing what the Bible has to say about this. Why did God give the gift of a pastor to a local church? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Notice in verse number 12 and notice the first word. The first word is for. For. Whenever you see that word for, you could 
sometimes in your Bible reading, ask the question, why? And the word for is going to answer the question. So we come first, why did God give the gift of a pastor to the local church? The next question is for, so we could ask the question, why? Why did God give it? For, notice this, for the perfecting of the saints. Why did God give a pastor to a local church? Because his job is to help perfect the saints. The word perfect here carries the idea to make complete or to make whole. So the pastor's job through the preaching and teaching of God's word is to help make you complete or whole in your knowledge of God. To be complete or whole in the walk that you have with the Lord. To make you complete or whole in your obedience to Christ. He's trying to make you complete. Trying to help you by preaching the word of God. Trying to point you to the Lord of hosts. To point to him. To see him. To make you complete in your Christian life. This is the pastor's job. So I don't get to necessarily say whatever I want. My job is to say the things that are going to help make you complete to make you whole, to help you in your Christian life, to be a blessing to you. Now notice in verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, what's the next word? For. And remember, whenever you see the word for, you could almost ask the question why. All right, so we have a sing-along starting now. Why did God give the office of a pastor to a local church? For the perfecting of the saints. Why does God want the saints perfected? Notice this. For the work of the ministry. Now some people have the misnomer that not only is the pastor only do three religious sermons a week and that's all he does. But it's also the pastor's job to go soul winning. Do you know according to this verse it is not the pastor's job to go soul winning? According to this verse the purpose of you being perfected is so the saints can do the work of the ministry. And remember, the work of the ministry is not done within these four walls. They're done outside of the four walls. That as you are perfected in Christ, as you grow in Him, as you grow in your knowledge of Him, that you are to go out and go tell others. Win them to the Lord and then bring them in so that way they could be trained to go out and do the same thing. Do you know that church is not meant for lost people? We're glad to have lost people in. We're going to give the gospel to them. But church is for saved people for us to learn more about the Lord so we can go out. The work of God is done outside of those walls. There should be more people coming to know Christ outside of those walls and then being brought in. And so with this in mind, it is if you are a church member, you... Your job is to be telling people about the Lord, to be doing the work of the ministry. Everyone has a job to do. And that makes sense because only one person could do certain amount. That's it. But all of us can reach people that some of the others can't ever see. Do you know that you have people in your life that I'll never meet? How are they going to be one to the Lord if it was just dependent upon the pastor? Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has to go out. Now as we go to verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. What's the next word? And whenever you see the word for. You could ask the question. Why? why? Alright so here's the running start. Why did God give the gift of a pastor to a local church? For the perfecting of the saints. 
Why does he want the saints perfected? For the work of the ministry. Why does he want the work of the ministry done? Notice with me if you don't mind. For the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. So here's how it works. The pastor's job is to help perfect you. To help make you complete or whole. See the things that are missing in your life and try to add those things to make you complete or whole. Help you develop the habit of obedience to Christ. As that happens, then the saints go and do the work of the ministry. And as they go and do the work of the ministry, which are outside the four walls, as people come to know Christ as their Savior, those people will come in here and help build up this local church. This is how God has designed it to be. That we're all to be doing the work of the ministry. And through it, this local church is built up through the efforts of everyone. Now, as a pastor, I'm also a church member. So as a church member, I'm also supposed to be going out and telling people about the Lord. But this is how God has designed it to work. That everyone has a part to play. That being a part of a church is not a spectator sport. Everyone has something to do. God wants to use even you. God has a plan. And you could be necessary. Some of you have heard illustrations before. Uh, that we brought up. Um, one of my favorite preachers of the <laughs> times past. Was Dr. Curtis Hudson. And he would preach about soul winning all the time. And try to encourage and promote it with the people. And he would say you got to ask the question. You got to ask the question. Are you 100% sure if you die today to go to heaven? He said here I'll challenge you. If you've never asked the question this week. You need to go and find someone to ask the question to. Well he had a medical doctor who was working with him. And he uh, had a guy who came in who had a regular exam. And he was in his office as the guy was getting changed again. He says, you know what? My pastor tells me I'm supposed to ask the question. I'm supposed to ask the question. And so, you know what? I'm going to do it. Lord, give me enough strength. So he went in there. And as the guy was saying, he said, what do you think, doc? He says, well, I got a question for you. Are you 100% sure if you are to die today, you'd go to heaven? And the guy said, oh, no, doctor. What did you find? Is it bad news? What's going on? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, we got a misunderstanding here. My pastor has told me I have to ask that question to people. And I'm just trying to ask you other thing. But no, no. Tell me, doc. Give it to me straight. Tell me what the news. No, 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 no. And he, and he worked it out. And he said, try to get out there. And the pastor said, hey, I got a question. Did he get saved? He said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. He was very much concerned for his soul. And he gladly accepted Christ as a savior. We all have a role to do. We all can do the something. Go ask the question. Go find someone to talk to. He talked about that in his church. You know, Baptist churches always attract some of the strangest people. You know, it just why? Because we accept everybody. And he said we had. Um, he said he had a taxi driver that on Sunday mornings he would sit around. And when people would try to get in, he said, listen, Sunday mornings, this is Jesus' taxi. I'll take you wherever you want for free as long as you go to church with me first. The guy says, I don't have time for that. Well, then this isn't the taxi for you. You need to find another one. This is Jesus' taxi. He said, every morning, every Sunday morning, the guy would come in. Sometimes it would be late, but he would always have someone that he would drag with him. And of course, he wasn't very subtle. He would always bring them right to the front. Even So the preacher's preaching the message. He'd bring them all front and he's walking up and going, I got one preacher. I got one. Just tell her, everyone can do something. 
And this is just part of what the pastor is trying to do, is trying to perfect you as a saint. So everyone can do their part. And as a result, the body of Christ, that local body of Christ, the local church, is built up. This is the pastor's job. Notice with me in verse 13. When do we stop? Till we all come in the unity of faith. This is the goal. Till we're all looking in the same direction. Moving forward. Having the same goal. That we're moving together. This is our purpose. This is what we do. And we're moving forward together. And notice this. Till we come into the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Again this is what we're building. This is what we're perfecting. Till we all know Jesus Christ. And know Him in a personal way. And we're trying to please Him. Because He is the goal. And unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That word stature carries the idea of age or maturity. And so notice this. Unto the measure of maturity. Unto the measure of age of the fullness of Christ. That God uses this to help perfect us. That we grow together in the cause of Christ. And this is the pastor's job. His job is to direct traffic to try to get everyone to do their part in accomplishing the great commission through this local church. Everyone has a part to play and the pastor's trying to help you to be perfected so you can do that job. Now with that, we turn to our text in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. The book of Hebrews chapter 13. And remember, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, we first of all had saw that Jesus Christ is better. That Jesus Christ is better than Abraham, or better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than the angels, better than Joshua. We saw that Calvary was a better way, that it was better sacrifices and a better plan. And now we come to the practical that faith is a better life. And remember all throughout chapter 12 and chapter 13. It's talking about the practical living because of who Jesus is. Because of what he's done for us. How do we respond? How do we behave? And earlier in chapter 13 in verse number 7 he gives them a reminder. Remember them that have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God. This is the pastor here who is has the rule over you and has spoken to you the word of God whose faith follow consider the end of their conversation. It continues that thought in verse number 17. And this is where we're going to spin to that first of all we saw the pastor's job. Now we see the pastor's responsibility. The pastor's responsibility. Now having a job and a responsibility can include the same things, but they are different. The pastor's job is to help perfect the saints so they can do the work of God to build up the body of Christ. But what is the pastor's responsibility? Notice with me in verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. So again, this is talking to a church member, to someone who understood what Jesus Christ has done for them, and it's giving direction to them. You... Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Remember that the idea of submit yourselves means to place yourself willingly under the authority of. And that there's a difference between compliance and submission. We've explained that before using the illustration of a teenager. You could tell a teenager, go clean your room. And they go march off. Are they submitted? They are not. Because submission is a matter of the heart. The Bible here says you... Obey them that have the rule over you 
And submit yourselves. Willingly place yourself under the authority with your heart. Now notice the next word. What's the next word? For. And whenever you see the word for, you could ask the question, why? So here's the question now as we get another sing-along going. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now it's almost like God knew who he was talking to. Remember when you're talking to a child. All right, you need to clean your room. What's the next question they ask? Why? All right, you need to itch your vegetables. What's the next question they ask? They're almost like you understand who you're talking to. All right, obey them that have the rule over you. Obey your pastor and submit yourself to them. And almost as if he knows that he's talking to human beings, he could see the question is already going to be asked. The question, why should I obey my pastor? Why should I submit myself? So God answers the question. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. Did you know that part of the pastor's responsibility is to watch over your soul? He's watching over your soul of who you are. Notice this. As they must give an account. Now who does the pastor give an account to? Your parents? To God. You know, it's, it's a troubling thing to know that we're going to stand before God and give an account. It's not something that any of us are willing to say, hey, I'll do that now. There's something about judgment. It doesn't matter what type of judgment it is. For example, there was years ago when I played trumpet and I would play for competitions. And before a competition, there was always a natural nervousness. Why? Is it because I afraid if I messed up that they were going to throw me in the back of a trunk and throw me out in the middle of the desert if I messed up horribly bad? No. But all judgment has an element of fear. All because you're being evaluated. And nobody likes that. But you know, as much as you have to have a fear or a trepidation and nervousness about you standing before God, do you understand that the pastor has to give an account for you. Now I don't give account for your actions. But I do give an account for what I'm teaching you. And what's being taught. I have a responsibility. Because I watch for your souls. That if I see you're heading to a wrong direction. To say stop. You're heading in the wrong way. You're going to hurt yourself. The way that you're thinking isn't right. Hey the actions that you're going. It's going to cause heartbreak. To be able to. Now I'm not standing in account for your actions. But I'm being standing in account for my warnings. And that's a big deal. Because there's not a single perfect person among you. Every one of us have issues. All of us have assets and liabilities. The goal in life is to make our assets outweigh our liabilities. And we all have things that we, that we have in our life that we can't see but others can see very clearly. And the hard thing to do, nobody likes that job, to be the person to say, hey, you got green in your teeth. Hey, you don't see this in your life, but you're making a big mistake. That's not a fun job for anyone. But knowing that I have to choose between pleasing him or working with you, I've got to please him. And that's where you come in. Because you either make it hard on the pastor or you make it easy on the pastor. See what the Bible says here. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? 
For they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Do you understand that as the pastor is being directed by God, God gives some insight, some discernment to see what's going on in your life. And whether it's from the pulpit or discipleship or counseling or something, he has to try to direct your path. Hey, you don't see this in your life, but this needs to be fixed. You may not see your attitude, but this needs to be fixed. Hey, you may think that you've helped this doctrine for all of your life, but it's a dangerous doctrine. You need to let go of it. And that you're supposed to submit to the pastor because they're watching over your souls. No authority who's right with God has any desire to lord over someone. But because they love you, they have to tell you the truth. And that's a hard thing to do because, you know, some people are not going to respond well. Knowing that what's going to happen if you don't get corrected, but they're not listening. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. Where's the joy come from? Because there are some people who are willing to be taught. Hey, you know what? You haven't been doing this right, and I love you. This would be a better way of doing this. Thank you, pastor. I've never saw that before. That's the best response. Bless God. I don't care what you say. I'm never going to listen to that. Okay. You understand a bad response. And then depending on where it is, some things that you think that you're holding on to are not that big of a deal, but may be bigger than what you even think. And the pastor looks and says, I'm so brokenhearted. I could see where this is going to be headed. The Lord allowed me the privilege of being an assistant to the pastor for 11 years. And through that time, I understood that my pastor had a weight. And I tried to help him, but I did not understand the weight until I became a pastor. What does the weight come from? Because you always have people in your mind. You go to sleep thinking about people. You wake up in the morning thinking about people. You wake up in the middle of the night weeping over people. It carries with it the day because we want the best for you. And that there are people that can make it easy because I know they're going to respond well. Or the people that refuse to listen, refuse to allow the help. And I could see the destruction. I used to give an illustration like this. Um, in a past life, I was a laboratory technician. And part of my job was to draw blood. Basically, they paid me to stab people. It was fun. And um, with it, doing so many sticks a day, I, we could start to tell when a stick is going to bleed and when it's not. And so we would try to give the instructions. All right, what you do is you place the gauze and we put tape over that. Tape does nothing to put pressure on it, just holding it in place. You need to put it and put it over your hand. Don't bend your arm. This is how you get a, a hematoma, a bruise. You keep it straight, hold it over your head. And inevitably we'd say, I know my body and I know what it does. I'm fine. It's going to bleed. I'm fine. Okay. And so they walk away. A couple minutes later, they're coming back, holding it, blood running all over the place. And guess who gets to clean up the mess? It would have been easier if they obeyed the first time. But instead, not only do I have to work with them now, we have to clean up the mess that was caused because they didn't listen. 
the same exact thing. No, no, no. I know my body. I'm fine. I know what I, I'm fine with this. No, you don't understand. You're heading to destruction. You're heading to heartbreak. It's going to affect people in your life. And guess who gets to clean up the mess? Whether it was a mother who sat in the office and said, my eight-year-old sits at the bus stop and my eight-year-old just hits me in front of anyone as far as I can. And we instructed her how to take care of that. And she goes, no, no, it will fix on its own. Then why did you even come to me in the first place if you weren't going to listen? But let me tell you, it's not going to fix itself on its own. And it didn't. Ten years later, it didn't. And much heartbreak. Whether it's dealing with a man who, who legitimately was disabled because of his own neglect. But his wife is tired of living, may I use the word, like a scumbag. And he wouldn't take care of her, wouldn't take care of the daughter. Trying to do everything we could to encourage him to do what he was supposed to do. And finally she had enough and tried to divorce him. And I tried to do what I could, but he still refused to really do anything. Then later on he sends me death threats because she divorced him. It's my fault somehow. (laughs) These are things that bring grief. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to be an encouragement. I'm trying to, I understand that some of the solutions are not easy and it's not what you want to do. What's the best? Let me help you. Let me help you. Been in this for a long time. Let me help. Let me help. This is part of the pastor's responsibility. His job is to help perfect you so you could do the work of the ministry. That you all have a part to play. But his responsibility is that he has to stand before God. And he's responsible for what he's teaching you, what's being taught, what he's doing to help correct you. And to stand before God and did I do my best as a pastor to warn them? Did I do my best as a pastor to teach them, to give them what they need? That's a big thing. Knowing not only the brokenheartedness of you, but did I do what I was supposed to do? This is why the Bible, as it's directing to the hearers of the book of Hebrews, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. You say, what is my role in this? That as long as biblical authority is not asking you to do something illegal, immoral, and biblical, you should do your very best to do it. Even if it's something that you don't specifically like. If it's something that you don't necessarily think is right for you. That any time biblical authority who's, that you believe is trying to follow God and trying to do what's right, obey them. Let me tell you how this goes. It happens all the time. Instructing someone. And as I'm giving them instructions of how to help themselves, they start talking. If you've never written down this note, if you're talking, you are no longer listening. And so the pastor is giving instructions of how to work, how to fix. And the person says, yeah, yeah, I've got this and whatever else. I'm done. I can no longer speak anymore. Because they've already got it solved. They're no longer teachable. And all I could do is sit back and say, all right, and I'm going to watch. And just let them go forward and hopefully they're teachable some other time. This is what this verse is talking about. That you need to be teachable. Rebukable. 
You could tell a lot about a person by how they handle rebuke. This is why God has given the gift of a pastor. I understand there are times that your pastor may not seem a gift to you. But God gave that gift to you not to hurt you, but to help you. And he has a job, and that's to perfect you so you can be involved in what God is doing. But he has a responsibility. The responsibility is to God to help point you where you're supposed to go. Knowing that there's a judgment seat. And he's trying to help you in your life. Your response is to submit. As long as he's not asking you to do something illegal, immoral, and biblical, then do your best. Trusting God, not the pastor, but trusting God. That God is leading you in the right way using the human instrument. Notice again at the end of verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. As they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Notice this. For this is unprofitable to you. What is unprofitable? means it's not good for you. You know what happens when people stop listening to a pastor? He doesn't feel like he's doing the job. And if he doesn't feel like he's getting his job accomplished, why is he still there? It becomes hard to be the pastor he ought to be if the people don't listen, if they don't help, if they don't go forward. Because he knows he's got a job to do. And after a while, a pastor could get so tired. And by the way, it gets weary. They're not listening. And I'm tired of being brokenhearted. I'm tired of seeing where the shipwreck is going to go. I can't handle it no more. And they quit. Do you know that the average pastor only stays at a church for three and a half years? That's it. Because they can't deal with it anymore. This is a hard position of dealing with a lot of folks that you love so much. The Bible says this is for the purpose for you. It's unprofitable to you. And you say, listen, pastor, I know what I'm doing. Just leave me alone. It's unprofitable to you to have a brokenhearted preacher. It is unprofitable to you to have a pastor who's so brokenhearted because he could see where the train wreck is going to derail at. And he feels powerless to do anything to stop it. This is the responsibility he has. This is why God said this is the gift of the pastor. Now again, my purpose tonight is not to say, hey, look at me, how great I am. Opposite of that. I'm just saying that God has given the gift of a pastor. Do you know that most pastors even are afraid to preach a message like this? But it was next up in the text. We have to preach it. But it's good for you to understand why did God give you a pastor anyways? Not to be the nosy Nelly to, he keeps bothering me. He keeps telling me stuff to do. Leave me alone. He's trying to help. He's pointing you up to the Lord. And he's trying to do this because he wants the best for you. Are you thankful for the gift that God has given to you? If you're not, then you're blaming God, not the pastor. God's the one that put me here. God knows what he's doing. Can you trust God? You say, what do I do with such a thing? Well, are you teachable? Are you teachable? That's a good question. Are you teachable? Then after that, pray for your pastor. Pray for him. It is hard to stay angry with someone if you're praying for them. 
Keep praying for him. Pray for me for wisdom and discernment that I stay close to the Lord. That I am getting directed by God. That I am pointing people to him. That I'm constantly learning. I'm not perfect, and most of you understand that. But as long as I'm following after the Lord, that means I'm growing. And as long as you see me growing, that you have some confidence in that. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But Satan wants you to point out my imperfections, and I've got plenty. I've got more than you know about, and if you want, I'll tell you about those too, all right? I'm a human saved by grace Amen. that God has placed here. And all we could do is move forward together, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.